to be back. Um, I'm tempted to say after that introduction, can't wait to hear myself speak. <laughs> it's a challenge. <laughs> I just want to talk about two words. And the first one is a very nice word. It's the word glory. I don't know what leaps to your mind when we say that word. <clears throat> Where we live in Ireland, there's a lot of rain and not too much sun. But every once in a while we get a really spectacular sunrise and we can see it from... Uh, well, we can see it without getting out of bed, to be frank. But uh, it's very beautiful. That might be one thing that occurs to you. Uh, <clears throat> what jumps to my mind was a wonderful surprise I had in Alaska. <clears throat> There's a mountain there called Denali now. Or it used to be called Mount McKinley. <clears throat> it's 23,000 feet. And I'd always wanted to see it because I love mountains. And uh, I was in Alaska for five weeks of ministry. And I had to go up past the mountain and I had to come back down. <clears throat> and uh, when I went up, it was a particularly miserable journey. <clears throat> I'd been offered a lift by a lady who said she was going that way and she would be happy to take me. Uh, what she didn't tell me was that she was also going to take her nine-year-old daughter and another lady who was a friend of hers, and the two ladies sat in the front, and I sat in the back with the nine-year-old, who was not really a child, really a monster. <laughs> and when we, before we'd even got sitting down properly, the mother said, and I don't want once to hear you say, are we nearly there yet? We were barely out of the driveway when the monster said, are we nearly there yet? <laughs> and the two women talked the whole way to each other and left me to corral the monster. It rained all the way. I didn't even see a tree on the mountain, much less the mountain itself. And it was a massive disappointment. I was to go back a week later on the train. Just me. It sounded better. <clears throat> when uh, about 10 minutes before I left the house, I got a phone call from a doctor, and he said, I need to talk to you this morning. And I said, well, you'll have to make it fast, because I'm leaving in 10 minutes and going back to Anchorage. And he said, well, I know that, but I am a pilot, I have a small plane, and I have to keep up the number of miles I fly or I lose a license. And I just realized I've really got to do it. Uh, so if you'd let me, I'll fly you back to Anchorage and we can talk on the way. It'll save you some time and it'll save you some money. So that sounds like a win-win situation. So it was a wonderful, pristine morning. And as we approached the mountain, he said to me, you know, I have never seen the mountain in this kind of weather, and I've lived here 30 years. He said, if it's okay with you, I'm going to ask permission to reroute and fly right round it. Uh, sounded okay to me. <laughs> so the mountain's 23,000 feet. The first 3,000 uh, 
kind of alpine meadows and forests, the next 20,000 of snow and ice and rocks. And we flew right round on the snow line. So we had the meadows below and the ice and snow above. And the weather stayed perfect. One or two little clouds appeared just to pick up the sunlight at the right time. And because we flew around it, we had a false sunset because we went out of the sun and then we had a false sunrise as we came back round again. And that day has lived with me ever since. And it's a little inkling of the glory of God. I mean, that mountain is a little pimple on earth. <laughs> Not if you try and climb it, but just... <laughs> and earth is nothing in space. The sun is a hundred million times the size of the earth. And it's one of billions of stars. All the work of our creator and so the psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God what really is the glory of God is it light and light gives you an idea of it but what is glory <clears throat> because um, As we go through the Gospels, we see that Jesus is the glory of God. John says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul says, we have seen the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. <clears throat> but have they really seen the glory of God? Have we really seen it? There are glimpses of, of it various times. When Jesus goes up the Mount of Transfiguration light starts pouring through him. Peter says, we saw his glory. <clears throat> the psalmist often talks about it. <clears throat> but the glory of God, in the more specific sense, appears in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. That uh, when the work was finished and it was ready, they didn't go in there because the glory of God was there. When the glory of God was on Mount Sinai, they had to spend, whole nation, three million people, had to spend three days preparing for it. Not going on it, and they wouldn't be going on it. Anyone, even an animal setting foot on the mountain, was to be immediately killed. The glory of God would appear on the mountain, but it would be covered in dense cloud. They wouldn't see it. Moses alone would approach. <clears throat> and Moses was unique in many ways. 
in his reverence and fear and obedience and the sacrifice he made uh, <clears throat> from growing up in the palace to 40 years in the wilderness, <laughs> um, serving God in that sense. Moses was pretty special, and the one thing he really wanted to do was to see the glory of God. <clears throat> and so, uh, here's what we read in Exodus 33:17, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. What do we mean when we talk about the glory of God? And it's not so much light as it is character. Glory is the very character, the very nature of God. It's who he is, what he is. And just as your eye, without protection, can't look at the sun, or you go blind, so your soul cannot be exposed to the full majesty of the person we call God. So all these glimpses of God's glory are filtered down so that we can survive. Just a hint of what is to come. And Paul will say this, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered the mind of men, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, even the most creative of artists or sculptors or whatever, Nobody has even got close to the reality of who God is. But when we see him, we'll be like him. For we will see him as he is. Right now, though, <laughs> we can speculate. There's a song that annoys my wife a lot when it says... I can only imagine. No, you can't imagine. <laughs> I would like to imagine. Can. It's beyond that. Glory. Now, the other word is not so nice. Dirt. What has dirt got to do with God? Well, quite a lot, actually. <coughs> God... I believe, enjoyed creating. And he created galaxies and constellations and oceans and mountains and suns, etc. But he just needed to think about it and say the word and that was it. 
And even when there was no light. <laughs> Imagine that. Well, difficult. But <clears throat> let there be light. There it was. Just like turning on the switch. Only less energetic. <laughs> and it was so simple for God. But he was expressing himself. And God's nature is revealed in the things that he's made. You can see something of the solidity and the stability of God in, in mountains. You can see the variety of God in water in so many forms from ice and snow to giant waves and tsunamis and the power of God but the beauty of God. <clears throat> and he is revealed in that. But while most things he just spoke and that was it. Other things he took more care of. In particular, man. That he formed man from the dust of the ground. <laughs> and that's so different from just saying, let there be light. Boom, there it was. He works with his fingers in the dirt. Well, all small boys like to play in the dirt, don't they? <clears throat> but he takes special concern over that. Man is more important to God than everything else in creation. You matter more to God than the Milky Way. That's why it, it really isn't very intelligent to say, <coughs> well, I pay my taxes and I haven't murdered anybody yet. <coughs> I'm not a criminal, so that's not good enough for God. Too bad for God. Oh, too bad for you, mate. God didn't create you so you wouldn't pay your taxes. God created you so you would love him. And our God, we're told, is a consuming fire. We're not talking about red-hot love, we're talking about white-hot love. And it requires a similar response. It's what God is looking for. <clears throat> so God worked to his fingers and made man. They didn't stop there. Once he'd made man, what he'd really made was an animal, not a man. The man could stand up and walk around. He could think, he could talk, he could see. But there was something vital missing. And uh, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that God gave man the kiss of life. Hmm? The way it's expressed, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. But it 
can also be translated the spirit of life because it's the same, same word. Although man could be energetic and enter fully into physical and uh, mental, emotional life, he was spiritually dead until God breathed into him his own life. What's the word for that? Glory. So that there would be in man a life akin to the life of God. But then God said, here are two trees. That one, don't eat from that one. If you don't like this lifestyle, if you, then you can just disobey me by eating that fruit. But the day you do that, is what it says in Hebrew, Dying, you will die. In other words, the moment you eat that fruit, you, you will immediately suffer a death, and then you will suffer another death. So what happened was, man died spiritually, the moment he ate that fruit. Cut off from the life of God, he is now no more superior to an animal except that he has the ability to be born again. <clears throat> and he will now inherit a gradual process that will result inevitably in death. Dying, you will die. And the one thing you can be certain of is going to happen. only thing you can be certain of. So... God got his fingers dirty working with the dust to form a man and then he gave him the kiss of life. This is enormously personal, isn't it? Because our God is personal. And then God becomes man. Not just broadcasting a message down from the heavens but coming in person and adopting all the limitations of humanity born as a helpless baby to a poor couple in an oppressed nation And growing up under those circumstances, surrounded by the usual sort of thing that people are. Some can be quite nice, quite a lot of them aren't. Particularly if they're Roman soldiers and you're a Duke. <coughs> but he grows up and experiences all the limitations and frustrations of human life but he sees it more clearly than you and I can because he was entirely innocent and because he was always in touch with the father and saw things from his perspective <clears throat> and then he chooses 12 people 
to be his disciples and to carry on his mission. And uh, I have often marveled at the patience of Jesus with these 12. <laughs> really, sometimes they appear to be just so dumb. <laughs> Can't you see us? <laughs> and other times, uh, just plain bad. <laughs> but he lived with them and loved them and loved them to the end. And then we find Jesus touching the leper. Nobody else would do that. Everybody else kept away from lepers and they weren't allowed in the city and they were supposed to live in isolation. And yet Jesus comes and touches the leper but doesn't contract leprosy the leper is healed. Somehow when God touches dirt, he doesn't get dirty. But somehow the glory of God comes into the dirt. Happened in the Garden of Eden. So Jesus touches the leper and the leper is healed. And then we come on to what we just remembered very beautifully here in the Last Supper or the communion. And after supper, Jesus took a towel, put it around himself, knelt down, started washing the disciples' feet. Which seems all wrong. They should be worshipping him, not him performing this lowest task, most menial task that the servants of a household would do. Uh, After 12 guys have been walking through the streets in open-toed sandals, sharing the space with donkeys and dogs and who knows what else, (coughs) sweating and... (laughs) getting grit and sand in between the toes. Those feet weren't particularly beautiful. (laughs) And one of the things that I think should be included in any portrait of the Last Supper is 26 dirty feet. And as Jesus washes the feet, it seems so topsy-turvy, it doesn't seem all wrong. And Peter particularly feels very embarrassed about it. And when Jesus approaches Peter, Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. And I think we can all understand a bit how he felt. Partly... uh, It shouldn't be Jesus washing the feet. Maybe it could be Peter, but he didn't want to do it. (laughs) That's why none of them wanted to do it. That's why it hadn't been done. There weren't any servants there, and none of them was going to be the servant. And when Jesus does this, they're all feeling a bit guilty. And Peter, especially Peter, of course, 
expresses it where nobody else does because uh, he has a man with actually clean feet. Keeps opening his mouth to change them over. <laughs> and uh, so he says, You're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Glory and dirt can't remain together, it's one or the other. We are so dirty. I don't often like to think of the things I'm most ashamed of in my past. Because I've been forgiven. But so dirty. And God says quite simply, we're having none of that in heaven. The book of Revelation says, nothing that defiles will ever enter. Happened once in Satan. Not going to happen again. So if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And then we progress from there to the cross. And we understand what that washing really means. And we've spoken of the sacrifice and the love that motivated the sacrifice. And it's mind-blowing, it's phenomenal. But the washing is only to prepare for the glory. And so, after Jesus had died, there's a resurrection and there's a Pentecost. When God comes to live in the dirt again, you and me. And God Himself, in the person of His Spirit, comes to take a permanent residence in order that we might experience and propagate glory. That's our mission now. And we don't even know what the glory is. But it's coming. Probably not very far away. So the glory that we can't even see now or it would kill us is to be ours for eternity. I think that's something to celebrate. I think it's something that's worth the ultimate sacrifice. Not just to Jesus, but to you and me. Jesus was heavily criticized by the Pharisees. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus responds, those who are healthy don't need a doctor, just a sick one. I didn't come for the righteous people. 
but to call sinners to repentance. And the Pharisees probably thought, well, we're okay then, because, you know. <laughs> they had a righteousness, but it's called self-righteousness, which is close to being the ultimate sin, if there's such a thing. There isn't anybody clean enough. There isn't anybody good enough. But Jesus says, I've not come for the righteous, I've come to call sinners to repentance. And that's why he was happy to touch the leper. And he was happy to make friends of tax collectors, etc. Don't you think he still wants to do that? Sometimes we evangelicals look an awful lot like Pharisees from the outside. Very particular about the company we keep and we're not going to associate with those people, but those are the people Jesus wants to reach. Amen. So, what's the ultimate sacrifice? Die to yourself. And be alive and open to everything that God wants to be and to do in you. It's also the ultimate adventure. And it's the pathway to glory. Lord, thank you that you were prepared to leave heaven and the worship of angels for the scorn and rejection of men. Thank you that you didn't just lay a hand on the leper. You laid your hands on me. And you didn't just wash my feet but you took into yourself all the sin, the filth, the corruption, the shame that would otherwise bar me from heaven forever. And having washed me clean, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Having washed me clean, you set up your throne within. I invite you again to reign in me. May your kingdom come in me. May your will be done through me. For your name's sake. Amen.